Pastor Sierra. I'm our global community pastor. Shout out to our global community. We love you guys. I don't know if you guys know this. We have thousands of people who join us each and every weekend online from countries all over the world. And we meet throughout the week. And so I know we have hosts today from Scotland, from Portugal, from Ohio, all over. Um, So I get the privilege of leading them. But today I get to share um, about my favorite person in the entire world and, and my best friend and what he's doing in the earth. And that is King Jesus. How many of you are so thankful for King Jesus? Amen. Amen. I also get a privilege of sharing. I recently got to be a part of an incredible team of people and we traveled to the nation of Uganda. Um, Could I get all of our team from Uganda to stand up? Uh, We went with Miss Jenna Ortega and Pat. They have uh, an awesome ministry, Rockham International, and they are reaching the nations. Love you guys. You're incredible. If you see these people standing, you want to know more about what we're going to talk about today. Please connect with them after. You guys good? I need to warn you of a couple of things. I talk really fast and I try to slow down. It just doesn't work. I've tried my entire life. And so if it's so fast, I just have one rule. If it's not, if it's too fast, just give me a thumbs down. I'll like try to breathe out. If it, you want it faster, I can do that too. Okay. So just so you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. I'll know what to do before we go any further. I just want to pray for us this morning. So would you close your eyes? And I love what Pastor Zach just set us up for because we are a people full of the spirit and power. And in this hour, in order to be the church fully alive and on mission, we have to know the power of God inside of us. And everything we do is for King Jesus. Everything we do is for his glory. And so as we begin today, Father, we just lock eyes with you. And I just want you to picture the face of Jesus. You are our reason for living, Dad. I thank you, God, for each and every individual in this room, that you have a calling and an anointing and a purpose over their life that you placed inside of them before the foundations of the world. And I thank you, God, that as we dive into your word together, as we hear testimonies of what you're doing around the world, I thank you that our hearts are open to receive. I thank you, King Jesus, that our hearts are good ground for your word to bear much fruit, to show this world that we are your disciples. I thank you, Father, that as I speak, Holy Spirit, you are speaking to each and every individual person in this room. And I pray everything we do would be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we had the privilege to go to Uganda. This was a few weeks ago. And uh, as the night before the trip, I was praying. And obviously, I prayed prior to that. But I was really praying, God, what, what do you have for us to do there? What are you calling us to do in Uganda? What, what do we have to offer? Because what I know is that there's an awesome group of pastors and leaders on the ground there who are seeing the nations discipled in their own communities. But I knew that God had called us. And I knew that Ms. Shanna and Pat have led the way and and having this organization there. They have incredible things going on. They have farmlands where they're farming and and producing income for people. They're working with pastors and leaders and doctors to see villages transformed. And we were going to get the privilege to go and to lead these huge crusades in a time where very few people have been allowed to gather. And so knowing all of these things were in our, our path and before us, I was praying. And as I was praying the night before I was in my room, just on my face before the Lord, because if you want to hear God, quick side note, you should spend time with him and intimacy with King Jesus is the thing that you can invest your time into that produces the most fruit and is the most eternal thing that you can do. And so as I was praying with the Lord and I was spending time with my father, I asked him, God, what do you have for us? And I saw this picture 
And in this picture, I'm a very imaginative person. I love my imagination. Each of us have an imagination. It's actually from God. When Jesus says, let the children come to me, that you can't inherit the kingdom unless you become like a child. A part of that is our imagination. So if you are a super creative person or not so creative person, I would encourage you to use your imagination to tap into what God's doing. Does that sound okay? Okay, awesome. Side note. I'm just going to throw out all the side notes today. So in my room praying, you guys with me? Everyone can see the scene. Everyone's in my bedroom on their knees before the Lord. That's kind of weird. All right. That was a joke. It's okay to laugh. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Okay. So I'm there. I'm praying. And I felt the Lord show me this picture. And on my right hand side, there was Jesus. And I was sitting, standing here. And on the left hand side, there were all these Ugandan faces and people and a sea of people. And I saw Jesus standing here and I saw him begin to take a part of his body. And as, and I was like, God, what do I have? And my hands were open like this. And he began to take his body and he began to put it in my hand. And as he put it in my hand, it became bread. And I took the bread and I began to give it out to people. And I felt like he said, Sierra, I am the bread of life. And I want you to give me away to the people in Uganda. And so going on to this trip, that was the, that was the prayer in my heart of King Jesus. You are the bread of life. And I want to see the nation's disciple because that is what you have ultimately commissioned us as the Jesus people to do. And so I want to be a part of distributing the bread of Christ everywhere we go. And so with that, I begin to read and pray and study and meditate on the book of John chapter six. And this is where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And so the entire trip I'm praying and I'm reading these, these scriptures but what I noticed, because it's in verse 35, we're not going to go there yet. But in verse 35 is when he talks about being the bread of life. But I begin to read the whole chapter and I, I noticed something that I had never noticed before. And I promise I will get to how all of this is applicable to you. Are you guys cool with that? Everyone okay with a little story time this morning? Yes. Are you guys awake? Okay, good. Just making sure if not, it's okay. I'll just talk to myself. But okay, so John chapter six, right before Jesus goes on to talk about him being the bread of life. Something really interesting, and maybe you've noticed it before it happens, is that he actually goes and feeds 5,000 people. So he gives them physical bread right before telling them he's the bread of life. So I want to read John chapter 6, 1 through 14. This is a lot of scripture, but we came to church. We want to hear the scripture, right? Let's read. And this, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the sign that he was doing on the sick. Jesus drew people because of what he was doing. Jesus went up to the mountain and there sat down with his disciples. Now the, pas now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. I love that Jesus often puts questions in our heart, but he already knows the answer. He's like, hey, I have this secret plan that I'm not going to tell you about, but what do you think we should do? He's really, he's really good to us. And we're like, oh, I don't know, God, what should we do? This is what happens. He said this to test him for he knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denaries worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people set down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down and about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gathered up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. 
And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who had come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, he to make him king, to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So this is probably how many of you show of hands on global community. You guys can put a little hand in the chat. How many of you have heard this story before? Okay. Probably a pretty common story. One of my favorite Sunday school stories because they often like give you a snack with it, right? Like we're going to talk about bread and fish and let's have a snack. So anytime you get a snack, it's always good. So, so Jesus goes out and he meets a physical need. And what I love is that, and as I was praying and as we begin to go into this, the nation of Uganda, I love that the Lord began to highlight to me the significance of first meeting the physical need. And we had the privilege to do a lot of different outreaches. But what I know is that the physical always leads to the spiritual. And I think sometimes as we follow Jesus, we just want people to be hungry. We want them to get it. We want them to be seeking truth and understand. And recently that's been a prayer of mine of God. How do we make people hungry? How do we get them to want to know you? And I felt the Holy Spirit whisper this to me. He says, Sierra, to make people hungry, the only thing you have to do is eat in front of them. I think if you've ever been at a table with people and they're trying their food and they're like, this is so good. You have to try it. You have to try it. You have to try it. I just get annoyed at those people because I'm like, listen, if I told you the first time, I don't want to eat it. Okay. But if someone is eating and they're not offering me their food, like pastor Zach's really good at this. He's my brother-in-law. So we eat together a lot. And he's always like, man, this is incredible. But he's not the type of guy that he's just going to quickly give away his food. Right. So... (laughs) So he's eating. He's like, oh my gosh, this is so good. And he's just taking it in. And I'm like, I have to try that. Like, why didn't I order that? That's what I want to eat. By eating in front of people, you make them hungry. And so what we know is that people have real physical needs. And I promise you that if you will be faithful to eat in front of people, if you will be faithful to present Jesus in the gospel in a way that makes people hungry, they will want their spiritual needs met. And often how you eat in front of people is you begin with the physical. And so as we went through Uganda, we had some really cool opportunities to, to meet the physical needs in people's life. And one of my, one of my personal favorite testimonies from the trip is we began our trip by going to this village and again, Jenna and Pat have an awesome ministry there and they've actually purchased a land where they, we were potato farmers for the day, which was really cool. I never had been a potato farmer. Um, I know Barbara Espinche has got a lot of experience in that, right? But, but I hadn't. And so we're there and we got to farm potatoes. I just held the babies cause that's what I was good at. But we got to, we got to work with these potatoes, but then afterwards we split off into different groups. And one, and you can go ahead and put up some pictures if you want. One group of us uh, got to go out and there was a medical clinic for the day. And so one group was out and um, doing medical stuff. I personally, I don't think I ever told the team this. I began shouting with joy whenever inside because I wasn't asked to do the medical clinic because I would have passed out. Okay. I don't do blood very well. So one group was out doing the medical clinic. These white buckets, you can see these are actually water filters. So another group was putting together water filters. Also, there was like a cool miracle where we broke like 10 filters and somehow nine of them showed back up miraculously. Amen. Yeah. So cool. You can keep, oh, the pictures are there. And then another group you can see here, this is a group of pastors and leaders um, in this village who are so hungry. And what's so interesting that, that we don't often think about here in the West is that majority of these pastors, okay, hear me, pastors have never owned a Bible. Because financially, Bibles are too expensive for them to own. And so not only did we go and we got to share truth with them, but we got to give out over 2,000, 2,500 Bibles during our time in Uganda. 
And so we go into this village, and if you can go to the, the last, the next one, the next picture in that slide. Um, oh, yeah, go back one more, one more. Right here, okay? So this guy in the plaid shirt, his name is Tahiha, and he is the village chief. And what I love is at the end of the day, we got to go out and wait, and we, he stood in front of all of us, and we were giving out the rice, we were giving out the water filters, we'd finish up the clinic, we'd finish up teaching. And the chief stands up and he says, thank you so much for what you've done in my village. Thank you for meeting the physical needs. What I heard in that is, thank you for coming and feeding the 5,000, right? Thank you for distributing something to us. But his next response was, but what you shared about Jesus struck home with me. And I want to know more of that. And I am a Muslim man, but I want you to come to my house and share me with me about Jesus. And so a group of us got to go to his house and those were his children that you saw in that last picture. But we got to go and we got to share the gospel with him. And what he said was, I can't receive Jesus today because I lead about 15 or 20,000 people in this village. And if I receive Jesus, it's going to have a big impact on them. I thought, amen, this guy is prophesying that whenever he comes to know Christ, that there is going to be 15 to 20,000 people impacted with the gospel. Amen. So you guys can be praying for Tahiha. We're praying for him to know Jesus, but he was so hungry for truth. And he said, every time someone tells me about Jesus, I feel something that I don't always feel. And I have a Bible and I'm studying and I'm reading and I want to know more. And I thought that was an incredible example of us meeting a physical need in a group of people's lives that then led to a spiritual opportunity. Another awesome example of this is what you can see here is this is a group of people that we got to lead at the crusade and there were over four to 6,000 people there. I don't really know how you count that large of people. We were like multiplying by tens and numbers and it didn't really work. So there were a lot of people there and we each and every day we fed them. So we were out like scooping the rice. You guys should have seen Pat scooping the rice, killing cows. It was awesome. Okay. It's really great. Um, but, but afterwards, we got to share the gospel with them. And we saw hundreds of people that come to know Christ. But here you can see they're holding Bibles. And again, these are pastors, leaders, faithful disciples of Jesus who have never owned a Bible. And what I love, one of my favorite, one of my favorite moments at this crusade was there was a little woman and she um, was pr pretty old. I'm not going to give a number, so I don't offend anyone today. She's pretty old. And she was wearing this yellow. You can go back. Don't go there yet. You guys, they're going to get so distracted. They're not going to be here. Okay, stay focused. So she's wearing this little yellow suit, and it's all torn and tattered. And she had shoes that were way too big for her. She had borrowed the suit. And the whole time she stayed, the two days after the crusade, she slept there. She served people. She had an usher badge on. She was helping throughout the whole conference. And when it came time to distribute the Bibles, we had the Bibles in English and we had the Bibles in Lesoga, which was their, their native tongue. And so we were giving out Bibles. Well, when it came to her, we were out of Lesoga and she doesn't read in English. And she's looking at me and she's like, please give me a Bible. And that's what she, that's what I understood. I was really fluent in Ugandan at that time. Okay. So I could tell on her face, she was saying, she said, please give me a Bible. And, and I looked at her and I look and we only have English Bibles left. People are digging through boxes. We can't find it. And finally, last minute, Miss Janet hands me a Lasoga Bible. And I gave her that Bible and her response was she held up her Bible and man, I, it brings tears to my eyes still because she held up her Bible and began jumping and shouting for joy and praising King Jesus because she had a Bible in her hand. And in that moment, 
I was so thankful in that moment. I felt so much compassion. I was so full of joy, but I was also deeply convicted because I thought, when was the last time that I held my Bible with that much joy and that much sincerity and hunger to know the word of God? When was the last time that I would do anything, that I would sleep outside for two days at the thought that I may get a Bible? And how many times do we neglect the word of God in our life because we just have access to it? And it becomes something that we don't even, we're not even hungry for because we have all these other options on the shelf. You walk through Walmart, there are like 50,000 different types of bread, right? There are multi-grain and then you got whole wheat, you got all these things that we as, I'm going to just convict us a little bit this morning. I'm an American, so I can call us out. We as a church in the West, we have so many options for Jesus that we're not hungry anymore. And we've lost our first love. We lost our hunger for the Lord that I saw in that woman that day and brought me to tears because a physical need of the Bible was met in her life. But she was hungry for the bread of life. She wanted to encounter a living God in church. We have to live with that kind of hunger. We can't afford not to be hungry and desperate for the things of the kingdom. A prayer of mine recently that has radically changed my life is Jesus, I need you. And I begin every day on my knees before the Lord saying, Jesus, I need you. Because what I know is we can't do this apart from him. What I know is that we have to be fully dependent on the bread of life. There is nothing else in this world that's going to sustain us. There's a story in the book of John chapter four of a woman who comes to a well to get water and she's carrying her water jug and she comes in and along the way, Jesus comes up to her and he says, I have living water for you. And what I love is that Jesus didn't, that Jesus didn't run away from her sin. He didn't, he wasn't scared of it. He wasn't like, hopefully I don't bring it up. Cause then this could be awkward. Like he addressed it head on. He was like, woman, you're living, you've had five husbands, five men that you've lived with. The one you're with now isn't even your husband. And this woman doesn't like, oh, I'm so offended. Jesus. Like that's, that's not hers. Oh my gosh. Who does this guy think she is? She's like, hold on a second. How do you know that about me? And Jesus says, you look for something physical to satisfy the need. Only I can. I have a living water that once you thirst of it, you will never thirst again. And what I love is that this woman came to get her physical need met of water. But it says, and it's so subtle. I love the Bible is so subtle. Sometimes we can miss it. But it says she left her water jug and she ran into the city and she said, you have to meet this man. He's told me everything I've ever done. I don't know how many people once they encounter God are like, you got to go meet Jesus. He called out every single sin in my life. It was awesome. Right. But I love that. She left her water jug and said, you have to meet this man. He's told me every single thing I've ever done. And later it says the people in that village no longer believe because of that woman's testimony, but they believe because they encountered him for themselves. And whenever we begin to meet physical needs in people's life, things like water, things like bread, things like hope, there are so many people around us that need joy, that that is a physical need right now in this hour. People need peace. And as Americans, maybe those of you joining us in the UK, maybe in nations where we're more prosperous, we often don't see the physical needs as much, but I promise you they're there. There are people who need a hug. This week, a group of our staff got to go out on outreach. We went over to the village, a senior living um, center here in town. And there were people who just needed someone to listen to them. Someone who they haven't been hugged in so long. And we got to just talk and sit and laugh with them. 
That is meeting a physical need. But what I know is that opened the door for them us to say, but are you hungry for more? Do you want to encounter the living water? Do you want the bread of life? Do you want to eat something that once you eat of it, you will be so satisfied. The things of this world will be distasteful. And so I'm just sharing stories with you, you guys doing okay. Everyone okay? Because I think that as, as the life of a believer, as a disciple, a follower of Jesus, that is our first and most important call in this life. And I would say for anyone searching, asking, what is my purpose? Why am I here? I'm going to answer it for you today. Your ultimate call, no matter your, your financial status, no matter your family status, no matter where you live, how old or young you are, the, the most important thing that you can do in your life is to be a disciple who's making disciples. And I promise you, if you live your life in that way, we've just heard an entire series from Pastor Jacob of what it means to be the church on mission. I'm telling you, it looks like we step out, we meet a physical need in someone's life that then, then leads them to hungering after the bread of life. And that Jesus has placed things in our hands, church. He has placed things in your hands that aren't in my hands. You have physical means that I don't. You have physical gifts that I don't. You have time that Pastor Zach doesn't. And he has things that I don't. And we, we all, as the body of Christ, have things that the person around you doesn't have. And our job isn't to hoard them and to keep them in to say, man, I'm so full, I'm gonna go out and buy some more bread and keep them on my shelf so that when the end of the world comes, I have stuff to eat. Like the, the, the answer is, how do I actually give out the bread of life? And how do I use the things right in front of me to distribute to the rest of the world so they can encounter the bread of life for themselves in a way that leaves them leaving their water jug and saying, you have to meet this man. Yeah. And, and I think, I know that kind of be kind of harsh. Are you guys okay? <laughs> I think, I think we can't afford to keep it in anymore. Because there are people literally dying every day. There are people who are without hope. There are people in our own community who have not encountered peace in the last year of their life. And whenever we get so focused on ourselves and what's comfortable and what's easy and status quo, that we miss the opportunity to distribute the bread of life. But what I can tell you is that it may be uncomfortable at first. It may be hard. It may be challenging, but there's also a part of you stepping out and doing that, that I can tell you that it is the most satisfying thing you will ever do. And your own quest for purpose and for vision, your own quest for your family to know God and to, to do whatever you're called to do. It is found whenever you fully embrace the bread of life for yourself, you have tasted and seen his goodness and that you are quick to give that out to the world. Amen. Amen. You guys still with me? Okay, can I share another story with you? Okay, good. Thanks, Miss Terry. I heard that. Yes, she's listening. Last story I want to share from Uganda, because I promise I do have other things to say. Actually, two more stories. Okay, so other story. You can go to the next picture. Um, this was a woman at the at the. Uh, crusade that we met. Her name is Naomi. Her baby she's holding in her hand is Angel. This baby is two years old. Uh, she was actually uh, very malnourished. And so during the, the crusade, she'd been to the clinic before, but we met her. Miss Shannon got to you know feed her and connect her to the hospital that we were connected with there. And her and her mom and then her other little baby who's 10 months old um, got to go back to the malnutrition clinic. And so again, just a very practical meeting the physical needs in someone's life. What's interesting about her specifically is 
is you can see the other baby's pretty healthy looking. This one, not so much um, that this mom thought this baby had demons. And so because of that, she wasn't feeding her. She wasn't taking care of her. And so in going and presenting the gospel, it led to this divine counter along the way where we got to then send this mom and their baby on the bus the four hours away to be able to have their physical needs met. And now they're still at the clinic, correct? And this mom is being taught, your baby doesn't have demons. She's just not healthy. And you being taught how to be a mom. That's a one really practical way. What I can tell you is there are moms around you who need to be taught how to be a mom. And the bread of life that you have is saying, go give your time to a mom and hold their baby who maybe has never been a mom before and teach them how to feed their baby, teach them how to be patient with their kids. And so anyways, I just thought that was a really beautiful picture. You can go on to the next this is first you can see Gavin's long hair. Okay, Gavin is there. Um, he introduced himself as Thor to all of the kids, which is great. It is his middle name. But but this is um man, this moment is so beautiful. So this is actually in the slums, and this man in the orange shirt, you can see his name is Latia. And Latia came out of the slums. And if you've never heard or been to a slum area before, basically it is the poorest of the poor within an already poor country. So the place where the prostitutes, the drug dealers, the pimps, everyone lives um, so they can live the, the life of darkness together. Um, and because there's, there's, they kind of keep each other alive and just raise each other. And so Latia grew up um, in the slums ended up getting out an opportunity opened up and he is now 40 years old for the past 20 years of his life has spent rescuing kids out of the slums and this group of, and I know it's not the best picture, but the group of, of kids you see behind them, they're all boys, probably ages like six to 16, 17. There's actually a guy being treated in the back. His head is busted open. He had been in a fight. Um, but these kids all came in so high to curve hunger pains. They sniff glue and so these little boys all raising themselves on the streets in, in this room, but they come every day because Latia gives them food and, and he gets to give them food. And he uses that as a way to meet a physical need in their life that then opens up the door to see who's hungry for more. So if you go to the next picture, you can keep going. This is just us in the slums getting to pray for some people You can keep going. But right here, this is actually, so Latia not only goes and feeds them, but he uses that as an opportunity to pull them out. And so he has a boy's home and a girl's home for the boys and girls that he is recognized are ready to get off of the streets. And, and you can see there's a group of boys in the middle. And we went that morning, we went to the slums and saw all these boys totally messed up and, and just broken to then some of these boys have been only rescued a few days out of the slums, but they were the most joyful kids we've ever seen. They were singing. One of them wants to be a rapper. Pastor Lee got to like lay hands on him, fall in that moment, call out the gift of music in his life. But these boys were so full of hope and life and our team got to pray over them. And what we saw that day is something that happens whenever you recognize what someone can be. And meeting the physical needs like Latia's ministry is they say, this is where you are, but because I can see you by the spirit, I know that maybe you just need an opportunity to be where you, who you can become. And that night, they also have a girl's home for girls coming out who've been rescued out of prostitution. So the little girl, she was probably seven, eight, nine years old, uh, was the youngest one at the home. She had just been rescued a few weeks before. Um, but we got to take them to dinner that night and they had never eaten pizza before. They had never drank with a straw. And we kind of, you know, Miss Janet's like, just get whatever you want. And so we had to cut them off at like three ice creams. Like, that's enough, no more ice cream. Um, but, but it was so beautiful. And what we saw 
and the ministry of Latio was someone who, who got it. And someone had encountered something hope for themselves that then began to meet the physical need in someone else's life. And again, we share all these with you, not to brag about anything we've done because it was all Jesus, but to encourage you that what we're doing right here from Durant, Oklahoma is actually impacting the nations. But what I want to encourage you with is that you each have something inside of you that the nations are waiting to be impacted and I want to share one, one last story, um, just kind of a quick story to, to set you up for the, the video we're about to watch. But um, in the story, again, I mentioned we got to lead these crusades for um, three different days and four to 6,000 people were there. And I love every time the gospel was presented, hundreds of people ran down to meet Jesus. And not only did they meet Jesus instantly, they were delivered and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we saw all kinds of crazy things. Amen. Yeah. And I want to show you this because we have a few more minutes today and we're going to talk and dive a little bit deeper of what does this look like practically in our own lives. But I want to give you a picture of what I believe the Lord is calling us to our, our lives to look like in the, this hour. Because in that same story in the book of John chapter four, whenever this woman encounters Jesus with living water, his disciples come up to him and that's when he says, look, can't you see that the fields are white for harvest? The world is so ready for what you have. There are people who are hungering and thirsting for the things of the kingdom that they have yet to encounter. And these people who you're about to see a video, these are all the people who ran down to say yes to Jesus, gave their life to them in that moment. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, but they're singing this song. And their song is, Jesus, I give you everything. Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my family. I give you my kids. And I want to show you this video and I don't want you to just say, oh, that's great. Those are some people. These, this is what hunger looks like. This is what desperation for King Jesus looks like. This, I believe church is a picture of what God is doing in your life in this hour. And it may not be a field of Ugandan faces that you see, but there is a harvest field. Look around. Can't you see church that the field is wide for harvest? This church that the world is ready for what we carry. Jesus said the laborers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. Therefore, Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest field. And that's what I'm here today to do. That's what Pastor Jacob the last six weeks is doing, is stirring up in us and understanding that we are the answer to what the world needs. We carry King Jesus, the hope of glory inside of us in a way that people are desperate to know him. And so I'm going to show you this video as a picture of what I believe the rest of the world is about to encounter. You can go ahead and play that video. John chapter six, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father has given to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me will never be cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last days. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up in the last days. The world is in need of the bread of life. And I'm going to keep saying that because there are harvest fields in Duran, Oklahoma, waiting to encounter the bread of life. There are harvest fields in the nations around the world. There is still uh, tons of countries within the unreached world. There, there are countries where people have yet to encounter to ever hear the name of Jesus. I remember the first time I was in India and we went to villages and we said, have you met Jesus? And they said, no, maybe he lives in the village over. There is, there is tons of people who have never encountered the name of Jesus. And church, we have so much access to the word. We have so much bread on our shelf that we can't afford to hoard it anymore. And I think the call is to wake up. The call is to say, if we want to see the revival that we're praying for, if we want to see the awakening that we believe is happening in the nations of the world, we have to begin to give out what we have. And I think that there's a fear that if I give out what I have, then I'm not going to have anything. But I love that picture of Jesus here, you in the middle in the harvest field here, because as long as you're getting the bread of life from Jesus, there's an endless supply. And as long as your bread comes from him, it's not you. And as I've been praying in my own life, but for us as a body, and praying, God, what stops us from living that kind of life? Because I, I, don't, I don't think anyone watches that and is like, nah, like not for me. I think I'll just like leave the rest of the world up to everyone. I think we all watch that and there's an excitement that stirs in us. If, if not, you come find me because you need to be delivered, okay? There is something inside of us that stirs an excitement of we want the world because we were created for this. This is why you exist is to see the nations discipled. That is the commission that Christ left his church. But what stops us from this? And I can tell you 2020 for me was a year of God revealing two idols that I'd had in my life that I didn't even realize. Two things that I had placed above him in different seasons of life. And as I was praying for us today, as I was praying for all of you in our global community, I believe that these are two things that if left unchecked, if left uncovered, if not called out, can be the very things that, that we destroy ourselves with. I remember uh, one time I was in India and we had uh, went to a leper colony and leprosy is a disease. And I may have already shared this with some of you before, but leprosy is a disease where you actually um, begin to rot away, not because of the disease, but because you can't feel anything. So all your, all your um, injuries are self-inflicted. And we were laying there and there was this woman, or this, we were walking up and there was this woman laying there and she had, had leprosy and she was missing toes and fingers and all of her skin was rotting away. And all of these flies were surrounding her and covering her and eating her alive. And I remember thinking, we, we prayed for her, we gave her a sandwich and we got to be with her that day, make sure that she knows she was seen and valued. But as we walked away, I felt the Holy Spirit say, Sierra, may my church never look like this. May we never get so numb that it's not even the disease itself, but it's us. We are the one who flicks our own wounds on us that we're actually being eaten alive and we don't even know it. 
And I think that the two things that the Lord wants to deliver us from today, the two things that he wants to kind of shake in your life, because there's a good shakening that can happen. And I believe that we need a shakening to step into being the people who give out the bread of life. The two things in my own life that the Lord called out. And I just want you to check your heart today. And maybe, maybe I said some tough stuff. Maybe you're already all offended at me and just ready to get out of church. But pray if you hear nothing else, just ask the Holy Spirit. If there's anything, any truth in this in your own life. And the two things that he told me is that you value independency and you value control at times more than me. And being in this, I know this isn't applicable to our global community, not all of you, but being in America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, there's something about independency that we love. There's something about that I can go out and I can start my own business and I can do this. And I don't think those things are bad, but when we value independency more than we value dependency on King Jesus, we've missed it. Because what I know is I can't do what he's called me to do apart from him, but not just him apart from his body. And I love back to the story in John, whenever Jesus is physically giving out bread, he asked his disciples, he said, where are you going to get the bread? Where do we buy bread? That there was something that he knew he asked a question that called people back to him because he knew he had the answer. He knew not only am I the one who's going to multiply it, but you actually need this little boy over here who seems a little bit insignificant, who only has a lunch. But in order to do what I've called you to do this day, you need me and my power and you need that little boy in his lunch. And I think if we are going to be the church on mission, if we are going to be a people full of power, giving out the bread of life to the world, we have to understand that we can't be independent of ourselves. God never called you to independency. He called you to be fully dependent on the Holy Spirit. And back to that prayer of Jesus, I need you. Now, what that prayer does is it keeps me postured in a place of humility, understanding John chapter 15 says, apart from him, you can do nothing that I abide in him and he abides in me. And that is how we bear much fruit and show this world we're his disciples. And if we're going to bear that kind of fruit, it looks like us remaining dependent on him. Are you guys okay? I'm going to take your quietest some conviction. So we have to know, number one, that we have to remain dependent on King Jesus. But again, I think a part of that dependency is not just him, but it's his community. And I know we always give shameless plugs for life group, but I'm going to keep doing it. Not because you need to be in a life group, because you need community. You need the Jesus people that God is calling each and every one of us to do big things. And that big thing may not be in the nation of Uganda. That big thing may be in your business. That big thing may be the mom in the home. That big thing may be in the life of a child who needs to be fostered and cared for. But in order to do that, you need a tribe of people to surround you. You need people who are going to support you on that journey. And I love that God never gives us a dream or vision that we can do alone because he's not just after us. And we have to know that we are a part of a legacy of faith that a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob understood the significance of covenant. And since the beginning of time, he has been weaving his covenant in his body so that we can encounter and not just for us, But I love, again, that we don't just know him because of this woman's testimony, but we have encountered him for ourselves. And whenever we begin to live dependent on King Jesus and his Holy Spirit, we begin to live dependent on the community of faith that he has put around us and surrounded us with. What happens is we begin to allow our vision to expand. What happens is that's how you actually see the nations begin to be discipled, is that we're not alone. So number one, we have to get over our independency. But the second thing is control. And I can tell you 
anyone who went on our trip with us, trying to practically feed 6,000 people was a little bit hectic, okay? Uh, there was a reason afterwards, after we tried to feed all these people and it was a crazy debacle, it's a good word, um, I said, Miss Janet, I read what Jesus did. He had all the people sit down. Like there's a reason he had to put a little bit of control to give out all the bread. Because when you talk about hungry people, adult or kid alike, they get a little bit savage when they want to eat. Okay. I've seen, it's the same thing at the Bacchus household. Whenever it is dinner time, kids get a little savage. Okay. So <laughs> that's okay. My family, I love them. But, but there's something about being out of control that is terrifying, truthfully. I don't know anybody that's just like, yeah, I mean, unless you do drugs. I don't think anyone's just like, I love, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Sorry, Pastor. I don't think anyone's just like, I love being out of control. There is something about order and control. I love organizing in my home to be simple and clean and put away and my closet is organized. Like all the moms out there, all the ladies are like, yes and amen, okay? Maybe that's just me. But there's something about control that, that we don't have to walk in faith in, right? Whenever things are in our control, when we have our very clear, this is our five-year, this is our 10-year, this is our 20-year goals, and we're going to do X, Y, Z. This is what our business is going to look like. I'm going to have 2.5 kids. I'm going to make sure they go to school here. They're going to say, yes, ma'am, no, sir. And it's going to be a beautiful, clean, clear-cut life. What happens is you miss faith in the process. And I don't mean that any of those things are bad in and of themselves, but the moment us trying to control, us trying to control people, our finances, our time, when those things become more important than the kingdom of God, we miss opportunities to give out the bread of life. And whenever we get so focused on, this is my family schedule, this is our routine, this is what we do, I do this, 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 that what if God said stop and give that woman food on the side of the road? Or what if he says, I need you to make your home an environment so that you can invite a life group in and there's no telling what kind of crazies are going to show up at what time of the hour. And it is uncomfortable and you can't control the people that come. But what if those are the people that are hungry? And what if those are the people that maybe in their mess and in their junk need to encounter a true and living God and his, his community to see their lives change? And I can tell you that following Jesus, we never have any real full control because if we did, then it wouldn't be like being like a child. Okay. And he may even give you a dream and a vision and you think, man, God, like I feel like there are times in my life. I'm like, yeah, like we got a good rhythm. We're going, we're trekking. Then he's like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, like, I want you to do this thing too. And it's kind of crazy and insane and you don't really understand it and it doesn't fit into the plan, but oh yeah, that's me. I need you to do it. And in that moment, I'm like, you know, my, my flesh is like, oh my gosh, are you sure Jesus? Like, I think that's probably the devil talking. And I really try to convince myself of that. But then what I know is which one of these require faith? Which one of these require the community around me? Which one of these require actual full dependency on King Jesus and not what I know and understand? And if we're going to be a people, Hebrews chapter 11, that there are these heroes of faith that gone out before us, that we have to know that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that without faith, it is impossible to please him because when we come to him, we have to believe that.
And I think if we're going to be a people who truly see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, church, we have to give up a little bit of our control. We have to give a little bit of our 10-year, 5-year, 7-year plan up and say, God, not what I think I want with my family, not the, not the thing whenever we said yes at the altar and then we had all these dreams and it looked like this, not that, but I want what does kingdom look like in my life? What does it look like for King Jesus to really have my yes? And all other knows he has ripped out and he has my yes. And when you live that way, whenever he disrupts your schedule or your time or your structure, he's also really kind. He gives you seasons of rest where, you know, it's, some things are a little bit under control. But when he disrupts you, you know the fruit that's going to be produced. So it's not even a thought at this point of, am I going to obey or not? It's, heck yeah, God, I'm in because I know what you're doing is going to shake the nations. Amen? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. So I want you to know, church, okay? You guys with me still? I said a lot of crazy things I probably shouldn't have said. I want you to know that whenever we, I believe, surrender our independency and our control, I believe that is how we see the move of God in our life. That is how we see him not just use us to meet physical needs, but allow us to begin to give out the bread of life in a way that people taste and see that he is good, that he encounters him for ourselves. And that is my prayer for us, that we would be disciples who have said yes to him, that are making disciples of those around us. And it's not hard. It's not overcomplicated. It's actually fairly simple to live this kind of lifestyle, but it is costly. And I think following Jesus is always simple, but costly. And I think the question is, what price are you willing to pay? Because the price isn't you have to earn your salvation. That's been bought and paid for. But the price is, are you willing to give up a little bit of control? Are you willing to give up some of your independency on you have it all fit together in your life? Are you willing to give up some fear? Are you willing, like we mentioned earlier, to give up some shame? And to be vulnerable with a group of people so that true freedom can come in your life so you can be all that God has created you to be. And I think whenever we talk about really seeing the bread of life given out in this word, when we see that picture of Jesus, then us and his people, I believe that each and every one of us, again, carries something unique inside of you. I know that. I know that when you were in your mother's womb, he put purpose inside of you. And that purpose isn't just a, you're going to do this when you're 25, you're going to do this when you're 30, you're going to do this. He put a plan, a thing, a purpose so unique and so individual that I believe once you find out who you were created to be, you don't want to be anyone else because you're stepping into the fullness, the life that God has created you to be. And what I want to do this morning is I want to empower you to do that. And so I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. And again, I believe we all have some kind of bread in front of us, that physical thing. Again, whether that's your time, whether that's peace, whether that's your home. And I know that that physical bread is going to lead opportunities to meet the spiritual need in people's life for them to encounter the bread of life. But we have to be obedient first to give it away. And what's really crazy is that in this, this book of John chapter six, Jesus meets the physical need of feeding the 5,000. Then right, right after that, there's a crazy storm. And then he says, I'm the bread of life. And, and I, can't, I can't say that this life is going to be without storms. That oftentimes in between doing what he said and seeing the completion of it, there is a storm. But what I know is that if we will live fully dependent on King Jesus and in full faith where he has control, not us, I believe that is how we see the revival and again, the awakening that we're praying for.